Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, good morning. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to the book of James, which is after the book of Hebrews and before the book of 1 Peter. The little book in the back, there is no shame in looking at the table of contents for James. Sometimes I feel like it moves on me, so um, go ahead and turn there. If you're using a phone, uh, I'll be reading out of the uh, New International Version this morning. Uh, also, if you use, uh, what's it called? Yeah, version. I'm going, um, the Bible app. Uh, version. it's like the most popular app on uh, everybody's phone in the world. And we on there have a live event. So if you go to events at the bottom of, uh, of that app and you hit events and you look up Shoreward, um, our area, it'll cl- you can sh- click Shoreward Church of God and it will have the notes from today already in them. Um, it's just a ni- nice little fun thing that we can do because technology is pretty cool sometimes. It's a pain, but it's also pretty cool. So let's leverage it uh, for the body of Christ. Amen. Uh, so that's what we've got going on there. We're in the book of James. We've been in the book of James for a long time. Today is the halfway mark, okay? Uh, so we are going line by line. Never done anything like this before in a, uh, kept kind of attacking a whole book and going line by line and kind of extrapolating all the goody out of it. But that's what we're doing. Uh, James is one of the most practical books of the whole entire Bible. It is just line by line going, boom, oh, that really applies to me. Oh, that really applies to me. Oh, 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 I wish that didn't apply to me. You know, it just, you keep on going through it, you keep on going through it, and you find all this goody, 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 goody stuff. And so as we delve into James, we kind of just want to take it slow and work through all the things that James is trying to uh, teach us this morning. Today, we're dealing with an issue um, that is very difficult. It's, it's a hard issue um, to deal with, and it's one that affects all of us, and it affects our uh, our community affects our country, affects us uh, very deeply. It's the issue of if I'm facing a choice and I have, I'm weighing my options, right? A new job, do I buy this thing? Do I do that? Do I enroll my kid in this? Do I retire now or then? Well, all, all these different choices that you make. Do I uh, make the numbers look this way so I get this raise? You know, all, all the different kinds of stuff that we deal with on a daily basis, how we deal with choices. In one camp, there is probably what we'd like to do. And then the other camp is what the scripture tells us to do. And the, the, the problem we're going to deal with today is how do we discern and how do we figure out how to go with what the word says? And even more importantly, um, do we, in self-reflection, kind of think about when we are facing that choice and we're looking at what would we kind of like and what the scripture tells us to do, do we say, ah, and throw the scripture out. The scripture must be wrong. The scripture must not be valuable. The scripture, eh, it's antiquated. Ah, I don't really need that because, you know, there's a suggestion, right? What do, what do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? Because this is not a new phenomenon. James is dealing with it in AD 55, right? So this is not like, you know, 20th century Christian, 21st century Christian is the first person to ever have to deal with, you know, wrestling with what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And so we're going to delve into that because if we're honest with ourselves and we're making those decisions, our comfort or maybe our, our um, accolades or our whatever it is kind of goes, oh, that looks nice. 
Maybe I'll just throw away what the scripture says. In fact, we've been doing this since the very beginning. The Garden of Eden, their origin of sin is the same stinking choice. I mean, did did he really say I couldn't eat a good tree of good and evil? Did he really, really, really say that? God has given us this choice. It's a beautiful gift he's given us. It's an absolutely phenomenal gift he's given us. The gift of choice. And then if that gift of choice comes the most atrocious, terrible things that humanity can come up with. Went to the Holocaust Museum last week. That's choice. That's choice and bad choice and bad choice and badder choices and badder choices and, bad, and, and the most baddest cho- choices. Yes, I know that's bad English and I'm using it on purpose, okay? Um, it's just bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. But then on the other hand, you've got these gifts, and when we make right choices, we come into these beautiful blessings of God, and these beautiful more blessings, and these more blessings, and it's this gift of choice God has given us. Choice gives us the avenue for destruction and the avenue for life. It gives us the avenue of cursing. It gives us the avenue of blessing. And so God has given us that because out of the out of the same thing that has the potential, the potential for destruction, the potential for calamity, the potential for terrible things to happen, also has the potential for incredible beauty and incredible worship. Because that's choice. God, when He created us, He said, I don't want little robots. I don't, I don't want robots. I don't want to, I could pre-program these guys to do whatever I wanted to do. That's not what I want. I want the beauty of choice. And in that choice, we have all kinds of uh, issues that arise. And so because God has given us this, this choice and this wonderful, wonderful gift, this crazy, crazy gift, because he trusts us to the ability to make the right choices, now we, we've got some ownership in this game. We've got some idea in it. It would be a lot nicer if God just pre I mean, it would it'd be nice if you're like, we're pre-programmed. Oh, this is what I get to do. This is what I'm doing. I don't ever have any choice. A lot of stress would be removed from life. But also, a lot of the beauty would be removed from life. And so we're going to delve into that idea of choice this morning and what that means for us. As we attack the idea of choice, we have to remember what James is all about. The underlining message, what everything hangs on from James. It's the very first sentence. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, right? James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been with me for that, underline bondservant. If you've been here for all 12 weeks of this series, underline it a 12th time, right? Because you've got to get this idea. You've got to understand this because if you don't understand this idea of bondservant, we're missing a huge chunk of what even being a Christian is. This idea of being a bondservant that James is pressing into is that we have stuff in our past. We have issues. We have these things going on and God... And we've brought them to God and said, God, I can't do it on my own. I need my life to be bought. And God buys our past and our present and our future. That is what, and that's what was happening in Roman culture at AD 55 times. People would say, I've got these outstanding debts. I've got this junk uh, going on. The police are after me, whatever. Will you buy my life and then you can protect me from the government or from taxes or from debts or whatever. Okay. That's what's going on. And so everyone reading this would have gone, Oh wow. For us, we need a 10 minute explanation of what a bond servant even is. So what is happening 
things. People are, when James is, is, is trying to bring this imagery up that you are coming to God and saying, God, I, I've got myself in mess. I've got myself in trouble. Will you please purchase my past, my present, and my future? And God in return says, yes, I'll do that, but I'll do it when better. I will set you free and I'll make you a co-heir with Christ. From slave to co-heir. From slave to co-heir. That's, that's what Christianity is all about. That's beautiful. Setting us free. But in that comes all kinds of responsibilities. And that's what we're going to delve in today. Because when we make choices, when we say, eh, I like what this looks over here. It's nice and shiny. And I know the scripture says this, but I, li- I, li- I, like, the- I like this. And I, li- I like this even more. And I keep on going there. What we're choosing to say is that I'm the master, not God. And that the price that he paid for me wasn't enough for me to actually follow him. Now, that's pretty condemning. Because the price that he paid for us was the blood of Jesus Christ. And folks, I do that and you do it. (laughs) And my son is being carried upside down through the hallway by Kevin. Um, (laughs) So I'm sorry. I'm good. I'm getting better at the whole ADD thing, but that one was too much. All right. (laughs) (laughs) He he deserves it. Um, So (laughs) both of them actually deserve it. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, coming back to our thought, um, I lost it. It's okay. Um, what we deal with is how, how, do we, how do we set our, our whole parameters around that? We have this choice. Are we choosing to, be, to play God, to say that his gift, that his purchasing of us, of us, him making us co-heirs with him, wasn't enough? That wasn't good enough? Was it strong enough? Was it deep enough? Because when we make the choices that says, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, that's what we're actually saying. And for me, that just, oh. Because I lose sight of that idea. I get consumed with myself. I get consumed with my own betterment. I get consumed with my own selfish ambition. I get consumed with me. And I forget that my life has been bought and paid for by the creator of the universe. All right? Got a couple statements for you this morning. I've been working on this week. Really kind of wrapping up wisdom in two different statements. I think there's, they're kind of stuck in two parts. The first is this. Half of living a godly life is knowing when a choice needs to be made. Half of living a godly life is knowing when a choice needs to be made. One more time. Half of living a godly life is knowing when a choice needs to be made. Anybody else really good at recognizing the rearview mirror? Should have chose something back there. Oh, that's when I should have stood up. That's when I should have said, hey, don't do that. That's when I should have said this. That's when I should have, right? Anybody else really good at that? I'm, I'm great at Monday morning quarterback, right? Um, that, that's just the way it, way it works, but... But half of godly living is knowing when a choice needs to be made. How does that get affected? How do we change that? How do we make it better? Um, this is where, not as a legalistic thing that we, sometimes we make it, this our daily quiet time and reading the scripture and praying my 20 minutes. This is We can make it legalistic, but actually consuming the scripture, having it on our tongues, having it on our minds is what makes this choice so much easier. When we've got God's words on our mind all the time, rattling around in there, we make, knowing when to make the choice becomes a lot easier. 
Right? When we just put it off and like, oh, because this is what happens to me. Right? The paid Christian. This is what happens to me. I get myself in trouble because I'm a loudmouth and a goofball. Right? And the choice should have been made three months ago. And now I'm like, well, God, why did you let me get here? And now I go to my scripture. And now I start praying. And I'm weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm scouring scripture. And it's telling me all the steps I should have done before I got to this place. Am I the only one that that happens to? Right? So half of living a godly life is knowing when a choice needs to be made. Right? is actually going, oh, I identify it. Because if we're in the scripture and we're in prayer and we're in communion with God, we're going to see that choice come and come and come and come and come. And it's not going to be a big deal. So that's, uh, that's the first step. And we're going we're gonna to flesh that out a little bit more here in a, in a moment. Second, the other half is following through on the correct choice. Now, we know this one's hard. Oh, I, what did Paul say? I know what I should do, but I don't do it. Uh, Romans 7. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, one of the most famous Christians of all time, is conflicted by the same issue. So you're in good company. However, we can do better, right? The other half is following through on the correct choice. Even, here's the weird thing. When I see the selfish thing here and I see the godly thing here and I'm still like, yeah, but that's shiny. And I still go for it. Like I knew the choice was coming. It was in my presence, but it was pretty. And we do that. So half of it is recognizing when the choice is coming and the second half is following through when the choice is there. All right. Those are the two steps, simple steps, but incredibly, incredibly difficult. James 3, 9 through 18 says this. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Our tongues are masters of getting us in trouble. I love the duality that James is bringing up here. And he's saying, listen, he's gone. Kevin talked about this last week, but we... He's gone on this long uh, diatribe of how our tongues work. And actually, our tongues have been coming in and out of how uh, James has been talking about this godly life for the whole entire book. But he keeps on going back and forth about, about how important it is of what we speak and what we say and how we conduct ourselves with our, with our mouths. And this idea of salt water and fresh water can't come from the same place. It can't happen. It doesn't work that way. And folks, I, I, I got to take that to heart. I got to really think about that. I got to really kind of ponder and meditate on the idea of, is my mouth producing salt water or am I producing fresh life-giving water? And do I switch back and forth within, you know, five seconds of each other? Because if I'm honest with myself, that's probably where I'm at. I try to, I, there's some sort of weird spigot in this brain where, oh, there's nice things that came out, and then there's salt water that comes out, and there's bitter water, and now there's fresh water, and now there's, there's that. Right? You guys think I'm flipping back and forth, but that's just life, right? That's how, how it goes, but there's a problem with that. And I'll give you an example of what happened uh, to me uh, just this last week. I was complaining about the communication that I've had with, uh, uh, I am now the, the all-star coach of the eight and under uh, baseball team. 
at Whiteford. Woo woo. Uh, go Bowen. Uh, but uh, yay, I'm the All Star coach. Anybody who's coached knows. Oh man, you got saddled with a whole lot of more stuff. Um, but I'm now one of the, the All Star coaches, and we're having a good time. But the communication has been terrible. I don't know when the when the tournaments are. I don't all of this stuff. And so I'm kind of going through that and going, Am I the only one that's not being talked to? Because I've never done this before. It's the first time thing. And I'm like, Ah, I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. And so I was voicing my displeasure to Kelly about this. And I wasn't really that venomous. I just said the communication has been really poor. It's about three days later. It's been a fun, great season ever, uh, for the whole time. But uh, about three days later, Bowen goes, yep, the only problem with that place is the poor communication. <laughs> now, that's not a venomous thing, right? That's not. Uh, if your son's going to repeat something that you said, can it be that? Amen. Uh, so, <laughs> so, there was worse things that probably have popped out of my mouth, but that, he, he regurgitated that, and there's only one place that he would have got that. There's only one place he would have known that the communication wasn't bad is from this guy. No one else is complaining about it. His friends aren't there throwing the ball back up. Man, the communication with Whiteford is really bad. You know, the seven and eight-year-olds aren't saying that. <laughs> it's me. So now, and then as I've been thinking about it, and you're going to be like, Jared, you're beating yourself up over this. Fair enough, but I'm using it to, to, to illustrate a point, is that now I've slanted something that's been so beautiful and so much fun and such a joyful experience for him. I've slanted it with something negative. I've poisoned that well with something negative. It didn't need to be there. If I would have just kept my mouth shut, he would have never known. And that's fine because he could be eight years old. He doesn't have to deal with communication problems, right? So as I think about that now, now, you guys are all going, well, if that's the worst one. You know, there's other ones I could have chosen. I just I get to edit myself up here, okay? Um, we, we look at our kids, and we look at even the people. We look at our friends. And then you think about maybe some conversations you've had, and you go, the only place they could have got that idea is from me. Oh. Out of the same mouth, fresh water and salt water comes. Out of the same mouth that builds people up, as the same mouth that lives, gives life also can give death. As uh, Proverbs says, there's power of life and death in the tongue. The words that he uses here, the word is blessing, blessing, and this is where we get the word eulogy from. It's eulogia. It's hard to say. Eulogia is the Greek word here. What it means is to give favor, to give favor, or to lift up before God and man. I think that's a, that's a cool way of looking at blessing. That's what blessing means, is to lift up before God and man. To say, hey, look at here, God. Look at this guy. Look at how cool Tom is. He's amazing. Look at this guy. Look how awesome Mary Good is. Oh, my goodness. She's my favorite. She's here. Oh, God, look at her. Look at her. Look at her. Right? That's what blessing is. It's to say, God, 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 God. Look what your kid did. They're amazing. The other word for curse here is uh, katara. Katara is to bring evil or destruction. To bring evil or destruction. See, they're polar opposites, right? One is to God, look at this, look at this. And the other is the same mouth. We have the power to bring blessing or cursing. But it's impossible for that mouth to have fresh water come out of it and salt water come out of it. Now, I don't know about you, but um, my mama always told me when I got a sore throat to gargle with what? Thank you. Gargle with salt water. And our resident doctor is not here today, so I can make up anything I want to right now. 
<laughs> so, but you gargle with salt water, and what gargling with salt water does actually is it kills all the cells that it touches in your mouth. If you hold it there, that's why you got to gargle it for so long. It actually causes some, it dries out all the living cells, either the bacteria or the, the nice cells. At the same time, it kills them all, and you spit out the water, and you spill out all those cells. That's nice and disgusting this morning, Jared. Thank you. Um, but that's what it does. And it's, it brings life after all that stuff is r- removed. Fair enough. But what it's doing is actually killing things. Fresh water brings life. Your body has to have fresh water. We were walking for miles and miles and miles in like 95 degree heat in Washington, D.C. But when you go four hours with your kids and nobody has to stop for a potty break, you know something's wrong. Like somebody needs to drink a little bit more water, right? Water, and they're droopy and they're getting cranky and Boone and Kendall are doing this back and forth. And, you know, it's not getting fun anymore. Walking around here and seeing that statue or that statue, it's, it's, it's not fun anymore. We get some water and everybody starts to perk up. Why? Because we actually gave them life back, right? We have to be very, very careful with that. I, uh, I got a massive, massive tooth infection when my wisdom teeth were removed. Like the whole thing just, it, oh, it's bad. Lots of, I can go on and on about how bad that was. But it's so bad infected. And the guy said, okay, gargle with salt water. And it was the only thing that was relieving the pain. Except because it relieved pain, Paul, I start gargling like every five minutes because I wanted the pain gone, right? That's, that's, how, we, that's how I act. Um, and so I go back to the doctor the next day. It's not better. He's like, how much have you been gargling? It's about every five, ten minutes. He's like, you can do that once every four hours. I was like, oh, because I was destroying any new tissue that was starting to form because salt water, what does it do? It kills out of your mouth. You can speak blessings or curse. You can give life. You get to give death. It's a choice God entrusted with us. Sometimes I wonder like, God, you know, we could have had a mouth, but not had the ability to speak. And that would have been wonderful. Like we need to eat. (laughs) But if the whole, like we're the only thing that could talk, if you wouldn't have given us that, that would have been nice. But he gives us choice. We can either worship with this tongue or we can tear down with this tongue. Half of living a godly life is knowing when a choice needs to be made, knowing when something needs to be said or when something needs not to be said. Anybody here, the best thing you've ever said in your life was when you kept your mouth shut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other half is following through on the correct choice. Now, how many here know you shouldn't say something? And you're like, I shouldn't say something. This is one of those moments. I should not say something. And I said it anyway. (laughs) Two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, have, you will find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in the peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I love this. James does not juxtapose wisdom with foolishness. He juxtaposes wisdom with selfishness. You see the difference. 
I always think, oh, I can be wise, I can be wise and be selfish. This is the best way to invest my money. This is the best way I, I, I could advance my career. This is the best way I could, I could do this or that. Or blah, 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 blah. But if it's not of God, it's still the opposite of wisdom. For me, I like to go, oh, it's foolish. That was a stupid thing to do, and this is a smart thing to do. Okay, I'm going to do the smart thing. Well, it's not that easy. It may look foolish to man. It may look foolish to you, but it could still be of God. What's the juxtaposition of wisdom? Selfish ambition. You hear that? That, That's one of these things where when I talked about the beginning, you're going to have these choices. What do I want to do and what does God want me to do? And now I've got to make this choice. Because often what I want to do is selfish. It gets me more money. It changes my status. It gets me what I want. Whatever it is. But is it wisdom? Is it of God? In James' eyes, the opposite of wisdom is not foolishness. It is selfish ambition. You've got to work through that. Deal with it. Went to Washington, D.C. last week. And so the whole idea of um, the founding of our country and all that fun stuff is fresh in my brain. One of the things that makes um, the United States so amazing and why, this, uh, why we're constructed the way we are, why the 13 colonies coming together and rebelling is so interesting is because of <clears throat> what actually founded why people came here in the first place. Now, there was money to be had and resources to be had, but the vast majority of why uh, some of the major colonies were made is because of this simple thing called self-determinism, that I got to choose something for myself. And what was that thing that they got to choose? They got to choose how they were going to worship God for the first time in the history of mankind. The first time. That only happened, what, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, that people were actually getting to choose this. The Reformation had just happened in Europe. There's all kinds of wars going on. Protestants are killing Catholics. Catholics are killing Christians, or uh, Protestants, and everyone's killing Quakers because no one likes them, and so we're just killing it because, you know, they're peaceful. Uh, they don't believe in war, so let's kill them. They're dangerous. Um, they do shoot their mouth off a lot. I'm just saying I'm married to one. Uh, so <laughs> Darn it, the wisdom. Same tower of life. Death in the tongue, Jared. Um, let you sit on that for a second. Um, but as we, as, as we look at that, that self-determinism, what they're deciding for the very first time is how am I going to worship God? Massachusetts and, and, and the northern colonies get a lot of, uh, of Presbyterian-type um, congregation, congregationalisms coming. Right? They, they are highly Calvinistic, but they get to choose, and no one's going to tell them different. And they get to choose who, how they're going to be, how they're going to live life, how they're gonna, what legalist um, structures they're going to set, and they're going to go do that. And that's awesome for them and wonderful for them. And for the first time, they don't have to worry about a king coming in, a sheriff coming in and saying, you can't do that anymore, and if you do worship that way anymore, you're going to get killed. Think about that. We take that for so granted. I can say what I want to say up here, and I don't have to worry that the sheriff's officers are going to come in and arrest me. I don't have to worry about that. That's amazing. For the first time, Quakers, Pennsylvania was a Quaker state. That's why the oil is called Quaker state is because it's from, originally it was from Pennsylvania. 
And so Pennsylvania is this Quaker haven, this place where Quakers can go and not be persecuted. Maryland is the only colony that's Catholic. We drove from Gettysburg, which is like 20 miles into Pennsylvania, into Maryland. If you've ever done that drive, notice something when you cross the Maryland border. It goes from Harrisburg, Gettysburg, Somebodyburg, to St. John's this. St. Michael's this, St. Anthony's this, I don't know, St. Saint, 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 Saint Xavier, St. Saint America's first saint, all this stuff. I don't know any of these people, whatever. They're sainted all up and down the place. Why? Because it's the, it's the only Catholic colony. So they have this self-determinism of we get to choose what we're going to believe and how we're going to worship God and all this stuff, and that's beautiful. What started to happen after that was, well, if we can choose what God, how we're going to worship God, now we get to choose who we're going to pay taxes to, which led to a little thing called the Revolutionary War. Because once you give people choice, they start to like more choices. All right? That's why we have Golden Corral. <laughs> so, right? But you go, you go, and you go, and you go, and you, anyway. So, talking about a sin issue, Golden Corral is it. Uh, so... Choosing, 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 choosing. And we've, we've come so far away from that that now we're, and it's this beautiful thing that really is kind of, kind of locked into Western Christianity, but we're facing this choice of do I do what I want to do with selfish ambition or am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I acting foolishly or am I acting wise? And we, in our, in our country, we're ask, asking those questions. and our, our body, we're asking those questions. In our, in our families and in our cells, we're asking these questions. Am I doing what I want to do or am I doing what God is asking me to do? Um, it's a beautiful gift that we've been giving, but it's also got, it's a double-edged sword, just like choices. So James gives us a test in which to put our actions through to see if, if we're selfish or we're being wise. The first is, is it humble? It will be the choice, Okay. Uh, or the end game of the choice. Is it humble? Verse 13. Why is wise and understanding among you? Or who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Is it humble? Is it humble? Is it humble? Does it draw attention to yourself? Does it make you look better? Does Does it puff you up? Then it probably isn't of God. There are moments when it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. But we just think about uh, when we do volunteer appreciation stuff here. Every time we give out a volunteer appreciation award at this church, the, the recipient's gone, oh, not me, not me, no. Not because that's not false humility. It's like, no, 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 I served because I wanted to serve, not because I wanted some award. Right? It's, it's just, is it humble? Second thing, is it true? But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder of every evil practice. Is it true? Does it, when we think about selfish ambition, there's ways in which we can lie. There's ways in which we can skirt the truth. There's ways in which we can put up false fronts in which we can get what we think we want. And so if we look at a choice and say, is this true? It's very easy to know. Is this just selfish ambition or is this wisdom from God? Number three, does it bear fruit? 
does it bear fruit? But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So does it bear fruit? Does it help? Is this helpful? Does it shape lives? Does it build up? Does it give life? Does it help you love? Does it help others love? Does it deepen relationships or does it tear relationships apart? Does it bear fruit? These are the hard questions because sometimes you struggle with career choices. You struggle with big decisions to be made. And it seems like, oh, that would be the easy one to get ahead. But when we look at it, maybe even through this filter, is it humble? Is it true? And Does it bear fruit? starts to align us in a different direction that maybe we never even thought possible. So the questions I have for you today as we close are hard questions. They're questions that we have to deal with. They're questions that we really need to step into if we want to live a wise kind of life. The first one is this. Am I blessing or cursing with the words that I speak? Am I blessing or cursing with the words that I speak? Now, an honest examination of the words that you spoke, the economy of our words. If I'm looking at the things that I did, do I, did I produce salt water? Did I bring death or did I bring life? My wife should never have to wonder what I say about her to other people. My family should never have to wonder my coworkers should never have to wonder. My boss should never have to wonder. And my employees should never have to wonder what I'm speaking about them. And the only way that happens is if life is always coming out of your mouth. Because once destruction happens, just like my son, now I've tainted all kinds of different things. Let's be wellsprings of life. Second, how do I help my family see the wise action? How do I help my family see the wise action. This one's uh, for me right now as, uh, as a father of two eight-year-olds and a 16-month-year-old. This is tough. My son asks a million questions a day. A million questions a day. Maybe you've gone through this before. A million questions. And it gets kind of annoying because they're always at really inopportune times. Like, why does the subway work when he's straddling the doorway of the subway? You know, like, you're going to die, so please move. Um, I said in a nice manner. Uh, but, like, like let's, 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 let's discuss this later. And I, talked, I was t- telling Kelly yesterday, I was like, I got to cherish the questions. I have to change my attitude because right now a lot of them are annoying. But I have to cherish the questions because there's going to be a time when he's going to quit asking me questions about life, Right? And then I'm going to look back and go, why wouldn't he ask me? Because I blew him off when he was seven, eight, and nine. Oh. Half of wisdom is knowing when there's a choice. The other half is following through on it. So how do you help your family see the wise action? I don't know what your issue is. Mine is being a little bit more patient with some questions. That's, that's where I'm going this week. I don't know what you, what's for you, but I'm sure there's something that needs to be happening for you. And finally, how do we love our neighborhood in a way that shows them the wisdom of God. How do we love our neighborhood in a way that shows them the wisdom of God? By throwing water balloons at them. Um, how do we love our neighborhood? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer for your question for your neighborhood. Um, I know some answers to some of the people that live in my cul-de-sac, and that's what I'm going to do the best I can. Right? 
And so we all live in different environments. Some of you lived in just different kind of communities all over the place. How do we love our neighborhood in a way that shows them the wisdom of God? There's different answers for all of us, and that's pursuing God's voice in this. Is it selfish? Or is it of God? We're going to take communion this morning. I should just go ahead and get the things and come on forward. Uh, we practice open communion here. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take communion with us, take the elements. It is grape juice and unleavened bread. Um, and you are more than welcome uh, to be a part of that. Uh, band, come on up as well, please. <clears throat> we cherish this time in which we get to take communion. Especially in this series of James, it's been so much fun to take communion with the series because as I've thought about the bondservant issue and I've thought about Jesus buying and purchasing my past and my present and my future, that communion came alive to me. That when I uh, take this bread, it's him purchasing my past and my present and my future with his body. And when I drink this cup, that it's him washing that away. So that's, that's been very powerful and very meaningful to me. That it was when I take these elements, it's that God has, has bought and purchased my past and my present and my future. And when I drink of this cup, he washes all of it away. Let's pray this morning. You're welcome to take communion at your leisure during this next song after you've pondered today's thoughts. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for um, being with us. Thank you for laughter, and thank you for sincerity. Thank you for giving us the gift of choice. And God, we ask you to be with us. We ask you to guide us. Lord, as we kind of delve into some of these issues of selfishness and wisdom, and there's issues with our tongues that we need to deal with, God, that you would guide us and direct us and be with us. Lord, we love you. And we praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.